versus Flash Gordon, 1980. Queen. We figured we'd start today with something a little more um, robust. Yeah. Unrefutably, one of the best bands of all time. It's so true. And this soundtrack. And people... That's a clip from the movie. Totally horrible movie, but such a good soundtrack. Hold on. There's more coming. We're going to do one more. And I may start singing. He's a miracle, ladies and gentlemen. He's king of the impossible. Savior of the universe. I just said that. Ready? He's for every one of us. Stand for every one of us. He'll save every mighty hand, every man, every woman, every child, and man is flash. There we go. That's how you start a podcast, Andy. <laughs> you got it. Oh, my goodness. Now that, we could just stop right there. Yeah, I hit stop already. We're just going to post that. Exactly. See? <laughs> exactly. Well, hello, Internet. Um, hello, our friends. Hello, um, our family members that listen out of duty and obligation. Hello. <laughs> we, we, th- yeah, we've paid every single listener that we've got. That's right. It's, it's, reverse, it's, it's reverse tithing. We pay people to listen. Yeah. Um, so, so we're recording. We're late. We're recording on a Monday. Both of us have moved in the last two weeks, and life has been chaos. So this is a Monday. We're going to release on a Monday, right? You're yeah. able to do that, Andy. We have That's the right. technology. Yep. And um, I think we've got we've got some good stuff. We we've got a couple of sweet interviews coming up uh, with folks. But today, this is this is the beginning of a conversation I've been wanting to have a long time a long time about spiritual abuse, about uh, Phariseeism, about legalism, about the lack of of genuine grace in a lot of uh, modern Christianity. And uh, I'm guilty, of course, of all of it as the biggest sinner in the room. Certainly, when I'm next to Andy, that is true. Um, but but I want to talk, there, there's a guy named Paul Hebert. I think that's how you say his name. He was a missiologist back in the day. I think he was a missionary to India. And he, he's done a bunch of writing on... Um, on a question that I think is is relevant to so many of the cultural discussions the church is having, and, and that is when it, when exactly does someone become a Christian? Hmm. Um, and and to answer that, um, pa- Paul uses set theory, <laughs> which is an interesting sort of approach. And so this was something I stumbled onto years ago uh, that has helped me in the way that I try to teach, the way that I try to live, the way that I try to organize church, and. Um, and so I thought, you know, this would be a great sort of introduction into some of the some of the topics we'll get into. So this is all Hebert stuff, and then there's a guy named Mark Baker, who has um, who's done some popular work on Hebert stuff, and I'm also borrowing from him. I think his name's Mark Baker. I think he's uh, teaches seminary somewhere out in the West Coast. But um, so so Hebert, and I'm just I'm going to start talking like this is all original stuff to me, although it's not. Um, but I'm going to just start like teaching this and then you, I hope you'll see the application pretty quickly. So, um, there, there are, uh, uh, three kinds of sets, uh, or groups that Hebert discusses. One, one is called a bounded group or a bounded set. And that the bounded there means there's a boundary 
to it. And so a bounded set is a set of things, or we're going to talk about people that have a very clear boundary line that they use to determine who's in the group and who's out of the group. Okay. Okay. So a, a bounded set is a set of people. It, it's a line, a boundary line that allows us to have a very clear definition of who's in the group and who is out of the group. The line is static, meaning it's not applied uh, like to some people and not others. And it's also uniform. So uh, everyone is in according to the same definition and everyone is out according to the same definition. All right, so so a boundary line in this sense. Now we're not talking about relational boundaries. Like there's a good use of the word boundary that 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 um, Cloud and Townsend have really popularized. And yes, we're not talking about that. These these are ways of including or excluding people in a group. All right, so a, a bounded group or a bounded set has a very clear line. That could be a set of behaviors. It could be a set of beliefs. It could be, it could be any number of things that is used to determine who's in the group and who is out of the group. It creates a set of essential criteria that determines whether a person belongs to the group or not. So, um, some people do this with church membership. Mm-hmm. You're you are a member of our church if you attend this class, if you agree with our statement of faith, if you've been baptized, if you do these things. You are a part of our church membership. And so there are those that are members and then there are those that aren't. And there's a very clear line there. We do that with um, the difference between playing casual soccer uh, in a field um, one afternoon versus playing club soccer. That was my next question. Is this, did you write this as a sociological observation yes. or as a church? It's a sociological observation okay. primarily. So, so um, like it's the difference between being a, a Pearl Jam fan or belonging to the fan club, okay. where you pay dues. There's membership privileges. You know, you're you're kind of an insider more than the casual fan is. So, uh, you know, it's like hockey. Well, no, 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 um, <laughs> nothing is like hockey. But that's right. Nothing there, is like there, hockey. There's the, we see this. We see this all the time. And and, and uh, boundaries are like very healthy and important things. Not just the relationship, relational idea that we're not talking about right now. But the idea that there, there's clear in and out, right? If I'm a student in a school, you can't just stroll in to a university and just sit down. You've got you've to apply and, and be um, selected, and then you've got to pay dues and get an ID, and you've got to do all of those sorts of things before you're officially a student at that school. And so boundary lines are very useful things that are used everywhere. And, and the key to a boundaried set, okay, is the fact that a lot of energy goes to maintaining the purity of the boundary line. You've got to keep the line clear so that you can keep the group clear, the who's in and who's out clear. And so, so in church, you, you find boundary lines used to separate Christians from non-Christians and then to separate true Christians from mediocre Christians or lukewarm Christians, right? So they're often like a couple of different sets of boundaries. And and very often, um, these are certain beliefs that you have to profess or there are certain behaviors that you have to do and keep doing in order to be considered a member in good standing, right? Or a part of the church or whatever. And, And in fact, another author identifies sort of uh, five different ways boundary lines can be attached to something. So legalism, 
a group of behaviors that you have to um, adhere to. Mysticism, a, a spiritual experience that you have to have. Nationalism, uh, a certain passion and commitment towards a cause. Intellectualism, um, a certain set of beliefs. Um, rationalism, which is a certain way of thinking, not just the beliefs, but the way you approach believing. And I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, thing that it's not just beliefs that you could use as an uh, identity marker or behaviors, but it's mm -hmm. also spiritual experiences, right? You've never spoken yeah. in tongues. Well, you're not a real Christian, right. right? You've never been baptized. Well, you're not a real Christian. So, so you have boundary lines used by churches to not only delineate who's a Christian, who's not a Christian, but who's a true Christian versus who's a lukewarm Christian. And, and, and this is where all of us start, right? We come to faith in Jesus. There's some moments, right? You pray a prayer, you raise your hand, you do something. Now you're considered in. Um, and, and then a lot of effort and energy is spent delineating who's in and who's out. Now, the problems with this approach, um, according to Mike and according to Hebert and according to uh, the scriptures, we'll explore more in the future, um, it produces uniformity, but not unity. Mm. Um, because everyone has come in according to the same criteria, but often those criteria are impossible. Uh, they're easy to measure, but impossible to see the fruit of. In other words, it's very easy to come in and say, oh, sure, I'll be baptized. That, that's an easy check mark. The harder check mark is, is somebody becoming increasingly surrendered to Jesus? Right. right. The the is someone becoming more loving, more joyful, more peaceful. I mean, there there's it's tough to have lines for that. So you so you have to reduce lines down to things you can see and measure. And in doing that, you create kind of a superficial uniformity, but it's not true unity because it's superficial in nature. Um much damage has been done according to these boundary lines. Right. Yeah. You're not a real Christian if. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Yep. And fill in every blank imaginable, you know, and it's gone from divorce to premarital sex to same sex marriage. I mean, it's often very focused around sexuality. It's very focused around doctrine that if you have to have this certain particular view of, of Genesis or this view of Revelation or this view of whatever. Um and, and and so it, it's very injurious because the whole the whole thing the whole the whole edifice is built on delineating who's in and who's out and maintaining the purity of the line. Okay, so you find a lot of energy being placed on the line. Well, we're this, but not this, and and, and I get that. Um, the third problem with it is that it it doesn't facilitate people being really honest mm. <laughs> because. Um, on the one hand, if you're failing in the Christian life, but you can, you know, you've been baptized and you've made a profession of faith and you've said you agree with the doctoral statement, well, then you're in. And it doesn't matter if you're more loving or not, or if you're a jerk or not, or whether or not you're actually like serving the poor or not. It just matters that you've crossed whatever threshold, um, and, and yeah, which is totally lame. And, and so you're not honest about your true condition because you don't have to be. You've you've crossed in without having to have been honest because, well, it's just this list of check marks. Mm -hmm. The other way that it doesn't facilitate being honest is, well, what happens if you become inside, but you begin to doubt the boundary line? You begin to doubt your, your fitness for the boundary line. You begin to struggle. Something bad happens. That's why churches, I think, have a lot of... Um, 
uh, energy bent towards uh, keeping people from being really messy or mm-hmm. asking really hard questions mm-hmm. publicly right. uh, because that kind of calls some of the boundary stuff into question. Mm-hmm. Another problem, um, it, it, it fosters a, a very deep lack of grace because it's a conditional sort of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 and this is, this is some of Hebert's stuff. It, it facilitates fear lack of honesty, it, it easily facilitates self-righteousness because I'm in and you're out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and it provokes superficiality because mm-hmm. I, don't, I really don't have to do any heart work to be a part of the group. I just, you know, do the punch list. And it seems to also complicate ideas around mysticism as well because, like, you know, an experiential knowledge of God is very sometimes unclear and defined. Someone right. might experience something very spiritual and you try right. to articulate that to someone it's who subjective. hasn't. That's right. It be, exactly becomes like overly subjective. It's but, like but, hyper-intellectual. But, but you can err on either side of that. So yeah. you could become hyper-intellectual and say, well, we discount all that stuff. Or you could be hyper-legalistic in the sense of, well, that, if it's true for me, it has to be true for everybody to be a part of the group. Sure. And speaking in tongues is kind of the most popular example. I've had people tell me, you know, I'm a Christian, but I haven't received the Holy Spirit because I've not spoken in tongues. And if you're and, and if you're part of our audience, and you're not sure what this means. Yeah, I you know that's for a later later conversation. Now, um, yeah, the 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 other problem with a boundaried approach is that you can have a boundary against the people who love boundaries. So I can build a whole group, and this is my temptation. My temptation is to build a whole group. And a set of people who hate having sets of people. You know what I mean? Yeah, the yeah. boundary to get into my group is that you hate judges or, or, <laughs> or that you hate religious people or that you've had bad experiences with the church yeah. or whatever, right? right. So, so the subtle, it's, it, it, it's so stinking tricky because you can actually use a boundary. And so it doesn't matter what the boundary is. See, this is Hebert's point, And this is so important. It doesn't matter what the boundary is. It, it's, it matters how that line is used. If the line is used to keep people in or to keep people out, it doesn't matter what line it is. It's the line drawing approach is the problem to begin with. Okay? Yeah. All right. Now, um, <laughs> This is so confusing. It's so complicated. Right. Well, well, it'll it'll get less complicated. Yeah. Because if the problem is line drawing, well then what's the easy solution, Andy? Remove the lines. Remove the lines, baby. And so Hebert contrasts a bounded group or set with a fuzzy group or set. And and there aren't any lines. You know, it's just kind of it's sort of he, he calls it, or at least Baker calls it, whateverism. <laughs> and and it, it's kind of, hey, we're all on the journey. And, you know, every person's truth is their own truth. And it's very relativistic and pluralistic and very, very attractive yeah. um, in our day and age. And so, so b- because it seems like the only option against boundary lines is to not have any at all, well, we insist then on boundary lines, right? Because it seems that that's the better alternative, and it seems like there are some in the Bible, right? So, so let's hold on to our boundary lines. So, a fuzzy set uh, is it re- you remove the lines altogether. Um, you have very un- you have a very ill-defined group, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of mega churches are are like this, mm. right? Because like like the, some of the churches I, I've I've served in. Um, you, you don't, how can you possibly know the lives of 5,000 people? 
Yeah. So so they just kind of come, and all you're doing is inviting them into things, but there's no who's like we would have these conversations. How many how many people are part of our church? Well, how many people would call our church home? Well, we'd usually take weekend attendance and double it because we figured people come to church twice. Twice a month, yeah, and um, and and, the, and you can see the problem with that, right? There's no definite. The only definition you're having is: do people walk in the door on yeah, a Sunday do they morning? Show up, right? Yeah. So, so a fuzzy set. So, so what you end up doing in big churches is you end up having smaller boundaries, right? So, become part of our small group ministry, or attend these classes, or become a member, or whatever. So, again, it's not there aren't inappropriate. Not all boundaries are inappropriate. According to Heber, it's what do you build the church? What do you build the church on? What do you build the movement on? Do you build it on enforcing the boundary lines, who's in and who's out? Or the, the kind of postmodern temptation is just to erase the lines altogether and to celebrate whateverism, right? Your truth is your truth. Um, we're thrilled you're here. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tied into so much of, well, I now the greatest value is and whatever you identify yourself as i respect that yeah so so that sort of that sort of tolerance is good in a sense right because we're done crushing each other um with our words our shame our exclusion or whatever so there's something good in this impulse but it it creates just as many problems as it solves right right because it seems the argument against it is like then you fall into this realm of quote-unquote false teaching right because it's like right. well, that that becomes the right. indictment like we're well, not really teaching them if you're not allowing for right some, how do you how do path. you how do you how do you invite people into conversion conversion from what into what if it's all self-defined how do you call people to discipleship becoming like jesus it's not just any old target mm-hmm. um how do you uh, in, invite people to turn away when the scriptures are so clear that there's some ways of living that are totally antithetical hmm. to the Jesus kind of life. How do you, how, on what basis would you invite people out of those ways of living? And yeah. so, so it creates as many problems as it solves. And according to Hebert, it's still focused on lines because it's just focused on making sure there aren't any. Yeah. But the energy still on lines. Right. It's still, it's still directed towards line sort of thinking. So Hebert says, we have to abandon the line concept altogether. Mm. And so instead of bounded sets, instead of fuzzy sets, he introduces an idea called a center set. And and here, and this gets confusing. So let me start with a great analogy I heard um, uh, that really gets at the heart of this, and then let's talk about it. Evidently, uh, there are two ways to keep cattle grouped together, okay? And I'm speaking from experience, Andy. Yeah. Um, one way is to uh, build fences to keep all the, the cattle boundaried um, within a certain region. The other way is to make sure that there's a well in the center of the territory you want them to inhabit, and it's mm. the only well. Oh, and, and so the cattle will not leave because that's where the water is. Right. So, so Hebert's point is, listen, a lot of our religious life is spent building fences instead of doing what Jesus seems to have done, which is to spent digging, which is to be spent digging wells. So, so what defines a group isn't 
whether or not they've crossed the line, what defines the group is their relationship to the center. Are they moving to the center or away from it? That's the, that's the thing. So instead of, so the church would be all of those who are moving towards Jesus. Now, some are far away and they're just turning. Some are very close and they're just moving closer. Some are close, but they're moving the other direction. Some are swimming in the well. Some are, yeah, some are drinking <laughs> deeply in the well. Some have just realized, oh, there's a well here. Yeah. But what you're not doing is you're not measuring. See, see, when you draw the boundary lines, it doesn't allow for people to be in process. It says everything has to fall off or fall into line all at once. This is a very process-oriented way of understanding the Christian life. The target is Jesus. The goal of the Christian life in, the, in its interior aspects is to take on the character and power of Jesus. That's the point. In its exterior aspects, the goal is to represent Jesus well to the world. And those two are very, very deeply connected. So what, what Hebert's suggesting, and it's so beautiful, is that you build, you spend your time and energy not on the boundary lines. You spend your time and energy on the center. You're mm-hmm. making Jesus beautiful. You are, you are talking about how compelling Jesus is, realizing that, that the closer people get to him, the more Jesus will begin to address the, the deep issues of heart, right? So, so, so a center set is defined by an, an arrow. Are you pointing towards the center or are you pointing away from it? Now, what's it mean? Because then you could form a boundary, if you're not careful, mm-hmm. around what's it mean to move towards? Does that mean I get baptized and I become a member of a church? And, sure. you know, then you can just reduce centered set thinking mm-hmm. back down to boundaries if you want. Right. He says, no, 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 that's not the issue. The issue with centered set thinking isn't external, it's internal. And so here's where this really start cashes out. This starts start, start to cash out. How many people, um, a mega church may ask, uh, are a part of our church? Well, you can measure it by attendance. You can measure it by you know programs. You can measure it by budget. You can measure it by any number of, of indicators. The hardest one to measure is, well, how many people are falling more in love in, with Jesus because of participation in our community, right? You can't measure right. that. So it's impossible to build a boundary line around that, correct? Right. There will be a correlation, though, about those whose hearts are being captured by Jesus and how their external life plays out. But you can't, it's not going to be uniform and it's not going to be all at once. So you can't have a boundary line to determine who's in and who's out. You may have an atheist who is beginning to wake up to the possibility there may be something more closer to moving towards Jesus than a religious person that's been there for 50 years and whose heart is full of judgment and anger and pride and self-righteousness, right? Which person is moving towards Jesus? It doesn't matter how much you know, and it doesn't matter how right you are on the cosmic DMV exam when the right answer is always Jesus. That's irrelevant. Are you turning towards him or are you turning away from him? And if you're like me, their course adjustments all throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. But is the overall trajectory of life towards the center or away from the center? Yeah. So center-focused churches, of which I hope Vox will be one, um, they don't spend a lot of time delineating all the particulars. It's not because I don't have opinions on the particulars. I have tons of opinions and conviction, or excuse me, beliefs on the particulars. 
It's that that it's that those things can so easily become boundary lines, and what you want them to be instead are indicators of the direction of the heart. They're not boundaries. They're just indicators, mm-hmm. right? How's my marriage going? Well, I look at indicators, right? How often are we arguing? Um, how often are we romantic? How often are we going on dates? How often are we uh, communicating at a deep level? I mean, those are those aren't boundaries. Right? It's not like if I did all those things, I'm 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 I have a good marriage. No, but they're indicators of my heart. Because you can do all those things and still have a bad marriage, right? Mm-hmm. So, but they're indicators, they're dashboard lights. So, so in the Christian life, Hebert's point is: listen, you have a way to tell who Christians are and who non-Christians are, because Christians are the ones who are pointing their lives to Jesus. Non-Christians are the ones who point their lives somewhere else. Yeah. Great. But what's the boundary line about Christian and non-Christian? Is it some set of doctrine? Is it some set of behavior? Nope. It's the posture and orientation of a heart. That's why when people ask questions like, hey, can you be Christian and be same-sex married? Can you be Christian and be same-sex attracted? Can you be Christian and be a pedophile? Those, Those things completely misrepresent what God is intending to do when he works on people. Uh, because because the, the question is, is supposing there is some boundary line that we have to draw somewhere that says, no, 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 it's impossible for you to be same-sex attracted and be a Christian. Mm-hmm. So that's just a boundary line. Mm-hmm. I, I And I just go, I don't see Jesus doing that anywhere. What I see Jesus doing is, listen, um, um, is the posture of heart oriented, becoming more and more oriented towards me, or is the posture of heart oriented towards something else. Mm-hmm. So so when Jesus will say things like, listen, you can't put your family ahead of me. You, you can't put your life ahead of me. You can't put religious approval ahead of me. Those are all postures of heart. Those aren't boundary lines, right? He's just saying, as you orient yourself to me, all of these other things will begin to fall off. Make sense? Yes. I guess what I'm, I'm thinking through and maybe the challenge of this is like, how, how is that not behavior? Because wouldn't behavior and action dictate the posture? Yes. Okay. But what boundary line um, focus doesn't allow for is the fact that people are in process. The center focus says, no, no, no. And that's why I, I, I and I appreciate you saying that, bro, because I'm, I'm trying to get it an indicator versus a boundary. Yeah. Because if someone is growing and orienting themselves to Jesus, their life will look different. There is, this is not about believing more things in your head. Mm-hmm. This is about you will become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind. Mm-hmm. You'll take on his character. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then you have to ask the question, oh, well, are you really oriented towards Jesus? Or are you oriented, orientated towards Christianity, orientated towards church, orientated to something that seems good? And seems connected to Jesus, but isn't quite Jesus himself. That's why you have the phenomenon of people who've attended church for decades who are absolutely clear and can check off all the boundary lines who are total assholes, who are total sons of guns. And <laughs> and and, and, I, and I've been around some of these people and you just go, no, no, there's no way. Now, I can be that way too, right? So, so I cannot be walking around setting myself over and against all the judges or all the jerks. 
because then I've just become, I've become part of the same game everyone else is playing. This, Hebert says, is an entirely different game. So, Andy, um, the the questions that we ask about are you oriented towards Jesus would be the same questions you'd ask about, hey, how's your marriage going? Yeah. Of course, they're behavior questions, but they're not boundary questions. Because we, because I would say my my response to that is going to be something out of experience, not out of what I've done. Correct. Right. But there is things. You, there are things you've done. So one of the things I may say is, listen, my wife and I got away for five days for our anniversary. That was amazing. A great time of recharging. You know, a great time of reconnecting. Right. Well, that was something I did. Right. But that doesn't tell me how good your marriage is. Exactly. Because you could do that and still have a cruddy marriage. Yeah. Or you could not do that and have a great marriage. Right. That means it's not a boundary; it's an indicator. Right, right, right. No, th- well, this is great. I mean, it, it because I mean, this even goes to then what I said early on. It, it to me, it pushes towards more having a way to articulate the experience of God. Because if you're if you're making decisions, behavior decisions, it's about the draw and yeah. being able to speak to the magnetism of being drawn towards God. Right, and it's like this is. Here's things that I've done. It's not about what I've done, but because I've done them, this is now the experience that's happening between my relationship and who Jesus is. That's right. And this is the fruit of what's happening because of that. In that the draw. same way, in the same way it happens in marriage. Yeah. In the this is covenant. See, boundaries are contracts. Yeah. If you do X, Y, and Z, then you are in. Right. Covenants are relational. We've talked about this all the time. Covenants. Yes, there are external indicators, right? So in the Bible, there was circumcision. But Paul has to spend all this time, once Jesus shows up, saying, dude, circumcision and uncircumcision count for nothing. I mean, if you want the classic case of boundary thinking, read the book of Galatians in the New Testament, because you have a group of people insisting you cannot follow Jesus unless you're circumcised and you keep Jewish customs. Hmm. And Paul just demolishes this whole idea of keeping score in that way. And he, he instead refocuses on the work that Christ has done. Are there plenty of to-dos in Paul's letter to Galatians? Yes. That's where we get this very famous list of what Jesus is like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness that, you know, Andy can never get him in order. <laughs> but because he's not a good Christian. And um, it, it, but but there, there's a sense that the, the point is the inward transformation that r- works itself out in the outward action versus outward action that allows somebody to just check the check the box and be totally untransformed, undiscipled, unin love with Jesus. Yeah. So so and, and and you can attend a church and you can figure out if you're there for a while where where's all the energy going. Is the energy going on the programs um, or the boundaries? And so, so the 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 in um, in Galatia, you have the energy uh, of these false teachers saying, "Listen, listen, you've got to do this other thing." It the the work of Jesus wasn't enough, and Paul Paul just goes nuts. But he doesn't. Paul's approach to it isn't just substituting a new list of rules. You see that? Yeah. See, if the boundary approach was what Paul wanted to do, he could have just said, no, no, no. The real list of rules is this one. He doesn't do that at all. What he does instead is he talks about the finished work of Jesus and about how that finished work works itself out in new creation people. So 
the church has to hold two things in tension. It has to be the place where you are in process, you are safe to belong, you can talk about anything, you can express your doubts, and it has to be the place of telos, of, of aiming, that there's a direction the church should point, and have to be able to have the capacity to say, listen, what you're doing, th this doesn't facilitate Jesus' life. What you're saying, this isn't congruent with Jesus' life. This, this thing you're teaching, man, this doesn't seem aligned with the, the accepted sort of tradition of understanding this you know, part of the scriptures. Now, that's not saying we're kicking people out um, because of our boundaries, although Paul does. And we got a question about this. How do you be a, a welcoming, inclusive community and still practice uh, something called church discipline? Um, and there's a very famous episode of this in First and Second Corinthians, which are two letters written by a guy named Paul to a church that was a mess. People are getting drunk on communion. They're suing each other in court. They're totally confused about spiritual gifts. Which also must suggest that communion wasn't just a tiny cup passed around to some people. Correct. Oh, yeah, the, the cup, the little dinky cup and, like, the toothpick of bread is just awful. It's not enough. It's, no, it was a meal. But that's a different story, Andy, trying to distract me. <laughs> so, so, so in this case, Paul actually says there, there was a, uh, a conduct. Uh, there was somebody who either was, um, they, they had their father's wife. So uh, this was incest or a relationship with a stepmom or something totally out of bounds. And it was so grievous because the community, the community was proud. They were putting up with this. And, and Paul said, listen, this is so grievous and harmful. You, you actually have to kick the person out of your fellowship in order to um, warn them of the significance of what they're doing with the goal of restoring them. And, and he actually, in the second letter, he actually... They actually do this, and the person is restored. Um, but but it, another another reason why this was done was to protect the community, right? Yeah. There are things that 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 happen in a family that that you have to draw lines about, and and so the issue is where does Paul spend all of his time drawing lines? Or does he spend all of his time on the center? To me, he spend all of his he spends almost all of his time in the center. And then when there are things where lines have to be drawn, yes, you draw them, but you draw them differently um, than boundary markers. You draw them in the same way you would discipline kids. Like like I don't discipline my my twelve year old in the same way I discipline my ten year old. Right? There's a kind of a same approach, but they're two different sorts of people. So there's no line there. There's a there's a, a give and a take that's relational. And so if somebody were very were very much harming the community, the way you'd approach them isn't, well, you're, you're, um, you've crossed this boundary line and we have to move you back outside of the camp. It's a covenantal thing. It's more of a relational thing. It's, it's saying, listen, you're harming the relationships at the center of this thing. You're misrepresenting the center of what we're trying to do. And so there have to be times when like a healthy family where you say, no, no, this can't, we can't, we can't tolerate this. My point is those are the exceptions rather than the rule. And it happens far less frequently than I, I think we'd all uh, want to engage in, particularly those churches that are very boundary focused churches. Mm -hmm. 
right? So if you're going to disbar someone from membership because they don't believe in the rapture or they don't believe that Jesus is coming back in the next generation or they, they have a view that says, hey, evolution is totally compatible with my faith, man, that's, that's just, that's boundary marking in ways that I think do incredible damage to people. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? You look like you're, you're squirming over there. I am. I'm squirming. So the things, the things that come to mind when, when we're talking about this is a, I can imagine someone saying, so what, you know, definitely what is the boundary with an expectation that there should be a public understanding from a church? Here's where we set that boundary that you're referring what boundary? to. The boundary that suggests that like Paul is like, eventually there is something that can be done where a person's activity is damaging the community in yep. which then ha- that has to be addressed. Yep. What I see in our culture now is a demand of culture saying they want transparency when that takes place because yep. so many things happen in private and right. which then can hurt the public on a larger scale right. versus a organization that's openly transparent about what those boundaries are or where the, the, the line yeah. of offense is and yeah. which then expectations are set. Yeah. So I understand how to participate. I understand where I belong yep. in that way. Does that make sense? It does. Because like I can still imagine someone still asking like, wait, so Mike then what's the boundary for Vox? Like what is, what's the thing, what are the things that you would be considered damaging to a community in which then you'd have to step in and address the issue? Okay, that's a great question. Are you ready? Bring it. So Paul seems to um, save this kind of nuclear option for something that was very public, something that was very known by the community, that was celebrated by the community, that was very repetitive, Um, And that was very scandalous. He even says, even pagan groups wouldn't put up with this, right? I mean, so (laughs) it's something that's harming the the witness and the reputation of the church. In, uh, and it's so, so you can can imagine this with a family, right? Um, I cannot... So, so my kids are, are now getting to the place where they're, they're starting to open up about some of the struggles they're having. And, um, and I always tell them, you know, man, there's nothing you could ever tell me that is going to shock me or cause me not to love you and be proud of you. I mean, there's just, you know, I, I'm just always going to be for you no matter what. And we talk a lot about how there has to be, there have to be places where you can share that just even the ugliest stuff. And know that you're going to be loved anyway. Um, but they also know, well, yeah, there are consequences and there there are things. And but I don't I don't walk around with a list of those that's written ahead of time. Yeah. Right. Because that's not how our relationship works. Our relationship works on the center of Jesus and our family. And so I don't I don't spend time until saying, listen, if you ever steal uh, money for drugs, you're out. Or if you got someone pregnant, you're out. Or if you got pregnant, you're out. Or if you had an abortion, you're out. I don't, because what's impossible to know ahead of time is the posture of heart and the circumstances surrounding the thing. Mm -hmm. This was somebody who was unrepentant, who was sinning publicly, bringing shame upon the community, who was doing it, um, and the community was celebrating it. And so Paul pulls out the heavy guns. I've sat with families who have asked their children to move out. Because they were stealing from the family. They were harming um, a, a sibling. There were, But the family never started with this list that said, all right, well, here are the things and everyone should know it. Nope. What they did instead was to grievously walk through a very long journey of which that was the final step. And it was done in love for the sake of restoration back to the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, I can't answer that question. Yeah. 
because it's the series of a whole chain of events. So, so, so uh, um, we'd have to, we'd have to, like, I think what you're saying too is we have to see the fruit of that destruction. If if we're seeing an ongoing pain and, occurring to others around it, then that that has to inform us that there's something. Yeah, there's all kinds of indicators. So yeah. so do we have a legal responsibility, right? So there's a okay. difference between crime and sin. Right. Not all sin is crime. So uh, child molesting um, uh, uh, would, is the most grievous and obvious example of oh my goodness we blow this thing up we yeah. we we go to the authorities and we're so transparent and you know may may that never be um, adultery is, is a different one where adultery isn't a crime but if everyone in our church found out that I cheated on my wife yesterday they're not really going to be super interested in hearing what I have to say right right right. Um, this, it's, and it sounds like, and Paul even addresses this, and, and even for him to reference that even pagans don't do this, right? There is a central moral code that every human seems to know, in which kind of emotionally becomes an indicator of like this is not, this is not reconciliation, even from a human level, right? Like, you know, for humans to even participate in this on the on a larger universal moralistic kind of point of view, even they realize that this is wrong. Is right. it, is that in a way somewhat of an indicator? Well, yeah, you you would just then get in the debate is okay. Well, where's that commonality right, I know, I know come that's, from? That's, that, that's, know, our, that's back that's to godless, right? Right. Is that socially constructed? Or not? But I think there's something to that, uh, and the scriptures certainly open that door. And, and 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 my point isn't to get into when we would discipline and when we wouldn't or or not. It's to illustrate what I hope is a different approach, which is covenantal, family based. Uh, center set thinking that says, listen, we're going to let people be in process. So, so somebody comes in and uh, they are involved in a totally promiscuous lifestyle. Um, I don't have the same expectations, right? We talk a lot about this. We don't expect Christians to act like non-Christians. We expect Christians to act like Christians and non-Christians act like non-Christians. And so, so there's the realization that if someone slowly opens their life to Jesus, who knows what Jesus will do? There's no boundary that says you're in or you're out. Rather, what, what Jesus is looking for and what the fruit of a life like this will produce are indications that the heart is becoming increasingly open, right? Yeah. And as that happens, you can see confirmation. The direction is actually towards Jesus. Now, there is a point when um, you would, you would, you know, and I've had people call me on stuff where you just go, man, the trajectory here just seems off, right? Whether it's lust or it's pride or it's greed. I've had people say, listen, the, the trajectory just isn't lining up. And, and But these are people who are on the inside of my life. These are the people who've seen me in lots of situations. These are, these are people who have, have, have worked with me over years um, and they're not just, and we, so this was one of the very earliest conversations we had. When do you exercise that kind of good judgment, you know, in the, yeah. in the church? Um, it's not from just far away, typically, unless it's some really grievous, horrid thing. Um, it's in the context of a long family sort of dynamic, which um, exile is the last and least practiced option, but it certainly is an option. It has to be an option it, in the same way. Um, you know, we have friends who, um, one sibling, uh, because of whatever disorder is, is threatening to hurt another sibling. And, and at some point you just out of love 
have to say no more. It's not out of boundary marking. It's actually out of love. Yeah. And, and who can measure that? See, that's where the boundary thing gets so messy. It's tough to measure, right? Hearts. And so, so I've, I've had instances where church leaders have uh, committed adultery and they've humbled themselves. They came forward. They've, they've, um, uh, they've accepted, you know, um, the, a church restoration plan and their marriages not only survived, but are actually better. And you go, okay, if we would have hit the boundary eject button on that, you know, it would have been tragic. Absolutely would have been tragic. I've seen other marriages where where somebody commits adultery and there's this kind of re- pretend sort of repentance that's just sadness that they got caught. And a year later, you realize, no, the, there's no kind of humbling. There's no reorienting back towards the center. And you just realize the trajectory now is away. And, and so... Um, we, we are not, we're not saying there aren't lines. We're just saying, how do you use the lines? We don't use them to say in or out. We use lines uh, as indicators. So is somebody increasingly open to Jesus? Well, if they are, then these things should be true. They should be more generous and more peaceful and more loving and more gentle and da 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 And if they're not, then you have to question what direction they're really going. But you're not saying they're in or they're out. Right. You see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. Because because my kids, um, I mean, imagine even if even if the, one of them was sent into exile for some horrible crime they committed, in one sense, I still love them and want them to be a part of the family, mm-hmm. you know? And the goal of any correction is to restore them back, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not maintaining the boundary. Mm-hmm. It's, re- it's reorienting them to the center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see the difference? Yeah, absolutely. It... It's, you know, I'm thinking through this too, like, it seems like such a human issue we're talking about. Humans demand clarity in their position in the world. Right. So it's like they need to be able to identify that. And that's That's also what makes, you know, Jesus very countercultural because he's saying that that identity does not exist other than an identity in me. And like, and that which then very much suggests the rejection of like our human boundaries, but rather, like you said, an orientation. Why, why did Jesus get in so much trouble with the religious leaders? He did not respect the fences that the Pharisees built around Torah. So some of the Sabbath laws, um, he did not keep, not because they weren't, uh, they, these weren't laws in the old Testament. These were, customs that had grown up around the laws of the old testament so he gets in a massive trouble about washing his hands or healing on the sabbath or and in every case he's reorienting people even in the case of divorce so here's a great boundary marker issue in matthew 19 and some of the religious leaders ask him okay so is it okay uh, to divorce for any and every reason and this is actually a quote from the old testament and from much rabbinic literature of the day uh, about uh, just cause divorce and what constituted there were two predominant schools of thought surrounding divorce in Jesus's time one and, and they both centered on uh, different interpretations of Deuteronomy uh, I think it's 24 um, where there's a provision in the Mosaic law that you can divorce a woman uh, but you have to give her a certificate of divorce and there's a clause in there that gives a for whatever reason and, um, and so the big debate was, well, what constitutes a good reason to get divorced? And Jesus gets pulled into this. And this was a boundary marker thing. And, and Jesus 
does nothing about the boundary. He actually he actually he actually takes a side on it, but he says he 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 dismisses that as uninteresting and goes immediately back to the heart or the center, which was Genesis one and two, right? God's intent from the beginning was that two will become one flesh. Um, and, uh, and, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. And, and there was a sense in which what God, what Jesus did in that moment was totally refocused on the center, the heart of the teaching and not the boundaries that had grown up around it. Right. So he does this with lust. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And all of the religious leaders said, yep, never committed adultery. I'm self-righteous. I'm a good, faithful Jew. But Jesus says, I tell you, if you've lusted after someone in your heart, you have committed adultery with her. And he's using the her uh, because that was the predominant way lust was thought about back then. You've committed adultery with her in your heart. And so what has Jesus done? Jesus has erased boundary lines. He's not, he not only violated some boundary lines and identity markers, he erased others and said, no, no, if you really are interested in following the heart of God, it's not enough just to not commit adultery. It matters how you lust. It matters what you dwell on and think about. He does this with anger. It's not enough just to walk around not murdering. You've got to get rid of anger and contempt. It's not enough just to pray on the street corners. You need to pray in secret and your father who sees in secret will be done. Jesus' whole Sermon on the Mount is this manifesto against external religious boundary keeping. And and that's why. And he, and he says, and, and, and Jesus, the, the, most, the most ridiculous thing of all the ridiculous things that Jesus says in my mind is that he looks at Pharisees who were masters at boundary keeping. And he says, I tell you the truth, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes or you will not see the kingdom of God. And righteousness there was a way of describing your alignment with God's heart in the world. And and the Pharisees kept the 613 Mosaic laws and then hundreds of other laws on top of those. So if you could capture the heart of God by keeping law, well, these guys would have been it. But Jesus says, no, 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 actually, your rightness with God has to surpass that. And, and, and then he begins to describe what that looks like. Well, it's actually a rightness of the heart. That's why the boundary lines can never be used to measure heart. They indicate heart, but they don't determine who's in and who's out. It's the direction of heart towards Jesus. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the same with church discipline. And so people have asked me, hey, would you have someone who's gay and outwardly gay, um, serve in a church? And the answer is, what's their heart like? Are they the kind of person that's increasingly surrendered to Jesus or not? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the, 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 the gay or not gay uh, is actually the secondary issue there. The issue is, where's their heart pointing, right? Because you can be not gay and be totally sexually like pure in the behavior sense, but filled with lust and addicted to porn. And you should be excluded. And I can imagine someone who's same-sex attracted, whose life is totally surrendered to Jesus, that you'd say, that's actually the model we want to emulate, right? right. I mean, you just can't. So so listen, hmm. we got to wrap this up, Andy. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I know. I, 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 I fear asking another question because it just demands more questions. Oh, but... so, so here's the thing. Um... <sighs> there is no question in the last hour or whatever long it's been, I have misspoken somewhere along the line. And and had were I to go back and listen, I would want to add a ton of nuance. Yeah. 
our commitment is to not do that. Um, so we don't edit. The only thing we've ever done is when I think I suck, we re-record the whole episode. Yeah. We're not going to re-record this one, but I know this leaves so much unanswered and maybe I've confused some things. So I ask you for grace to not pound me. This isn't a sermon. This is not, you know, this is not, this is a conversation. I ask for grace to not pound me with all the things I missed or should have said. I get that. Please give me, you know, give us, we always love, we read everything. uh, Although we don't, we can't respond to everything anymore. We read everything. And um, what, you know, Andy, I love that we got into the whole discipline, church discipline thing, but there's so, I mean, my goodness, that's multiple episodes uh, because that can be so abused. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So that's, so we, this is the beginning of a conversation about spiritual abuse Yeah. that I really wanted to get into, but I don't want it to get hijacked by, you know, well, um, we're soft on sin or where, you know, no, I, this is the, the first step in a big conversation. To me, the interesting part was how do you build something that's center focused? How do you, how do you spend time building wells and not building fences? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the whole make Jesus beautiful thing. That's, we just want to keep talking about him and calling people to him and letting people realize that in process, things will fall off, right? That, 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 that there are symptoms and there are root issues. Symptoms are almost always outward behavior. Root issues are always of the heart, right? So my anger problem that manifests itself in yelling um, is not a anger problem. It's actually a heart problem, but it's going to take time to get at what that is, right? So much of our sexual sin isn't about sexual sin. It's actually something a lot deeper than that. And if all you're doing are policing boundaries, you're missing that deeper sort of thing. And so we believe that grace is transformative. And so when somebody starts sharing the deepest, ugliest stuff in the context of grace uh, and in the context of truth, there is a true center, this Jesus. We believe that what begins to happen is as people realize they're still loved and included in their badness, like we all are, and it's not in, it's not our prettiness that matters in the Christian life, right? It's our response to Jesus's beauty that matters in the Christian life. That as that begins to happen, the transformation of character begins to take place, and that that is what we're after. We're not after a bunch of folks that just check some boxes. We're after folks. I mean, and I want to be one that that gradually look and act more like Jesus, in the words of Dallas Willard, manifest his character and manifest his power in the world, that we're safe to have a bit of his power in the world. So all that is to say, grace, please, grace, as we wade into some really deep waters. Thank you, Andy, for nothing. <laughs> so so um, uh, if you want to hear more about Vox, uh, the church, the, the Christian community, uh, go to VoxOC and uh, sign up on our... Um, VoxOC.com. Yes, .com. Not a dot .net or anything. Yep. Um, sign up for a little email list and, and there'll be some more information uh, coming because we're getting people who are tired of us being vague about it. Um, and the reason, just so you know, the reason we're vague is we don't, we, we're really not hoping a lot of folks from other churches show up at this thing. That would be bad. Yeah. If we open this and it's just a bunch of Christians from other churches who don't like their other churches, that would be a very, that would be failure for us. And so that's why we're kind of keeping it a bit vague. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we, we really want the, the Vox podcast conversation is opening up conversations with people 
who are coming from all sorts of backgrounds. I mean, a ridiculous number of backgrounds. And the last thing we want to do is have a church full of people who already all agree. Um, and, uh, and so we want to be able to provide a, a place for some of the folks we're encountering uh, through the podcast to actually start and begin to participate in a community. Uh, even if even if they're not, you know, all together, right. or even if they, you know, even if they don't um, agree with everything we're talking about, great. Right. Right. So so go ahead, Andy. I was going to say, I mean, because I every every helpful conversation I think does call a certain action upon someone's life. You know, we wouldn't ask well, like the result of all this isn't for you guys just to keep listening every week and then just being like, great, I'm just going to be a listener and that's that and go about my day and my life. I mean, I I would you know, we would love to see, you know, community form out of this and people doing something with this and challenge. If, if you are a Christian and you're listening to this, yeah, we hope that this is a challenging way to bring you towards seeing Jesus differently than maybe how it's been hunkered down. And for those who haven't, like what, what would it call you to? It's like, okay, if, 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 if the life of Christ isn't all this other stuff that's maybe been presupposed and presented through the American institution of Christianity, then what is it? Well, let's, you know, we want to find out together and we want to, we want to know about it. We want to know what, what, what's out there. And so Good. that, you know, for us to, to, to start the local expression of the church out of this thing, that's, that's our way of diving into something to say, yeah, well, you know, we're not, we're not interested in putting a lot of boundaries on things and let's, let's see who Jesus is in all this. Yes. Amen. All right. So, um, we're done. We, we're so grateful, uh, for you all. And, um, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Subversive Kingdom. Although we're going to close that sucker down, right? Yeah, eventually, folks, we are going to move the podcast over to a more Vox-centered, uh, oriented uh, uh, Vox-centered, yes. yes. Subversive Kingdom. What kind uh, of loser? Yeah, website. So, Seriously. Um, that, that's to come. Working on it. Right. And, uh, and uh, tonight, or today, because Andy's got to get this out. How long is it going to take you from now until when it's out? In this moment, let's let's clock it. It let's is eleven twenty. It's eleven twenty-two. Okay. Um, if I don't have any technical hangups, you know, okay. I could I could say I can have this up by twelve p.m. in time for your guys' lunch. Nice. So if you're listening to this and you are within the twelve o'clock hour, I succeeded. Yes. All <laughs> right. So our blessing today comes from the group Queen. Flash, ah, savior of the universe. He's for every one of us. Stand for every one of us. He saves with a mighty hand. Every man, every woman, every child. He's a mighty flash. There you go. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Until next time, brothers and sisters, thanks. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.